0: Please be seated. It is Advising Day today, and you could almost call Advising Day a day off if it weren't for the fact that we had to spend the day thinking about the worst subject, and that is the future, the horrible, horrible future. Now, it's intimidating. You could almost call advising day hyperventilation day because you have to think about things that are coming up in your future and make plans for them when... They may not be particularly comfortable situations. I mean you might be coming in to another semester and you're planning out the classes that you are going to be taking uh, in this coming semester and you know that this class that maybe you've been dodging and avoiding uh, is coming up and so you give yourself two classes that you really want to take in order to alleviate some of the pressure of having to do that other class. Or maybe you are on your way Out the door from Bethany, and you are heading in to a brand new career. Maybe you don't even know what that career is going to be yet. You are facing today a future that contains a lot of uncertainty. And looking into a future filled with uncertainty is disquieting. It's uncomfortable. In our verses today, Jesus makes a prediction about the future. Now, this prediction is given to an individual, and yet it has unbelievably universal application. It has application for each of us who are sitting here today. He makes a promise while standing in front of the gates of Hades. Uh, He's in a place called Caesarea Philippi, and there there was this temple that was built. It was a really intimidating type of thing. It was built into a cliffside, and there were, you know, these little, like, niches all around, but the main feature of the temple of Hades was a natural cave. This great, big, yawning maw that goes down into the darkness. It's the creepiest looking cave you have ever seen in your life. I'm, I'm not speculating about this either. The temple actually, most of it is still there. So you can actually still go and uh, visit it even to this day. I've been, I've been there. I've seen it. I actually preached a sermon there. Uh, incidentally, it's a total aside, but if you are one of the people who might be thinking that maybe the ministry could potentially be in your future, I just want to point out it is a major perk to be able to say sentences like this one time I was preaching a sermon in front of the gates of Hades. Okay. Just want to throw that out there for you in case uh, this is something that you might think you have uh, waiting in your future too. Uh, Now of course the mythology around the gates of Hades was that once you went through that was it. Now you are in the kingdom of death. Now you are in the dark. And the darkness doesn't end. There was no return. So Jesus is standing near this temple of death. And he asks his followers who it is that they think he is. Peter makes a great confession. He points at Jesus and says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He correctly identifies Jesus and what Jesus has come uh, to do. And our verses pick up there. We pick up with Matthew chapter 16. We'll start reading at verse 17. They're recorded in your bulletins. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this sounds like a huge moment for Peter. This sounds like the best bellwether event that could ever have happened. And yet, it really doesn't last very long. Immediately after our verses, I just want to keep going just a little bit more for some context here. Peter makes this great confession. Jesus celebrates the power of this confession. And immediately afterwards, this is what happens. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. No, Lord, never. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in in your mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In the space of five verses, Peter went from being celebrated for this powerful confession, being a rock renamed, Rock Peter, into being not the rock on which a church would be built, but a rock that might, that's in the way, a stumbling rock. Jesus goes from renaming him Peter, the rock, to renaming him Satan. So, what is it that happened and what does it mean for us in our relationship with God in this world. One of the things that we tend to think about when we think about Peter when we look at him is uh, uh, almost thinking about him as a disciple of of, of something of weakness in a lot of ways. In fact, Jesus calls Peter out for faithlessness several times uh, throughout uh, throughout the gospels. There are lots of notable examples. One of the most notable, of course, he's out on the boat. And the disciples are there. And Jesus is out walking on the water. He sees Jesus walking on the water. He steps out of the boat. Begins going towards Jesus. But then the worries and concerns and fears of the world that are all around him turn his eyes away. And he starts to sink. Jesus has to reach out and catch him. And then says, why did you doubt? He calls uh, calls Peter out on his faithlessness. We're in the middle of the season of Lent. Another instance of Jesus's, or of, uh, of Peter's faithlessness towards Jesus is very writ large in the season of Lent. He promised to die for Jesus, but while he is being questioned in the Sanhedrin and Peter is outside, he denies ever meeting him. Denies it with curses and oaths. I think sometimes we undersell how deep and serious a betrayal this really was on the part of Peter against uh, Jesus. It's recorded for us in Luke's gospel that when Peter betrayed him in the courtyard, Jesus turned and looked at him. Now apart from just how personal that would feel after this betrayal to have Jesus look at you, it reminds us there's not much between them right now. Peter can see Jesus while he's betraying him. More pointedly, he can see what Jesus is going through in that room. Jesus isn't sitting in a comfy chair being questioned. He's being blindfolded and spat on and beaten. And Peter, who who correctly identified him as the son of God, who correctly identified him as the Messiah, who saw him transfigured, he saw who this person was, is now witnessing what's happening to him and pretends like none of that ever happened, runs away from it. Peter cut deep with that betrayal. Now, Peter might get criticized for all of these things, but if Peter was a faithless follower of Jesus... then then I certainly am as well. It's easy for me to look at Peter's distraction when he's walking on the water and imagine that it would have gone better for me. But let's not forget that in that account, there were a bunch of disciples who were still on the boat who didn't take the step out there to be called faithless in the first place? How many times was I standing with them, not even having the courage to take that first step because of fear of getting criticized or inconvenienced or called out in some way? I use those potential outcomes as excuses to never even go as far as it was that Peter made it. It's easy for me to... Imagine facing the kind of trials that Peter faced, the danger that he faced in the Sanhedrin with confidence and courage. And yet, he's at the Sanhedrin where it's dangerous for him. I am at Bethany Lutheran College in the United States of America. There is literally no place on planet Earth which would be friendlier or easier for me to live the life of faith that I know I ought to to stand up for my savior, to do what is right. And yet, I still find myself shying away from vigorously confessing Christ in circumstances where it would be beneficial. And I know that when you examine your own life, you see the same things in your world, even here in a sanctuary of learned consideration of God and his word. We should have it easy. And that kind of makes our failures to act even more of a betrayal, our failures to proclaim, our failures to stand up. It makes us at least as vile as Peter watching Jesus get beaten and denying that we ever knew him. But from the temple of death, Jesus looks. At his weak instruments. He knew in advance every single failure that Peter was ever going to have. He made it clear that he knew exactly who Peter was and what it was that Peter was going to do. He, called, he, and he prophesied what Peter was going to do. That Peter would betray him three times before the rooster crowed. All of these things are things that Jesus knew. When he said, blessed are you, I say that you are Peter on this confession, I will build my church. When he pointed to Peter and promised good for his future, he knew who and what Peter was. His plan for Peter's future was not dependent on Peter's strength or righteousness or ability to do the right thing at the right time. The place where the verses here tend to cause problems for people when we're looking at this is when they're misinterpreted as being primarily about Peter, which they're not. Jesus makes it really clear. He says in our verses, on this rock, I will build my church. He doesn't say on this rock, you will build my church. On this rock, Peter will build my church. On this rock, Peter's descendants will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church, Jesus said. It isn't about Peter or Peter's efforts or Peter's faithfulness or his strength and courage in the face of adversity that would cause Christ's church to succeed, either within Peter himself or in the world around him. It's based on the observation that Peter made right before our verses. It's based on what he said. You Are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Jesus makes a really cool observation after Peter makes that confession, and sometimes we treat it a little bit uh, superficially, but it's odd that we would treat it superficially because he actually calls out how cool of a moment this is. He says, This wasn't revealed to Peter by human beings, this was revealed by God the Father. When humanity divorced God with sin, this was a hard divorce. We, we took creation practically with us, right? We ruined and brought error into perfection. But now we have Peter understanding something that came from God himself. Jesus is working to reunite our fallen species with God. For millennia, this has required blood and sacrifices. This has required incredible uh, effort on the parts of human beings to just get a whisper of that connection once again. But now, the one that all of those rituals and sacrifices pointed forward to is here and his work is succeeding. He's reuniting us with God. God on the rock of Golgotha Jesus's cross was like a stake driven into the heart of Hades the fact that Peter has this revelation about Jesus that he's the Messiah uh, the son of the living God while they're standing in front of the temple of death is a really striking uh, observation because now instead of a yawning chasm leading straight down into the dark, Jesus is providing something far greater. Peter's faithlessness, as well as ours, should have doomed him to a march down into that pit, never to return. But Jesus used his own body to stop up the gates of death, block the way to Hades, And to hell. He even carried our betrayals of Him onto the cross. And all of the anger that God would rightly feel that we turned our back on Him and on His Son, whom He sent, He poured out on Jesus instead of on us, so that we, the betrayers, are looked on with peace and love and compassion by our Almighty God. Peter's faithlessness, as well as ours, was worthy of death. But Jesus died instead to make war on death. More than just making war, he destroyed it. And in our futures, we'll never need to face it the way that he did. Peter's faithlessness, as well as ours, should have sent us into the grave from which we would never return. If there's no Jesus, if there's no Messiah, the cult of Hades actually had it pretty much correct. But Jesus went into the dark of the tomb and three days later he walked right out again. He opens our tombs along with his so that we walk straight out of that dark land and into a new place. Christ built his church on that rock, the confession that he is the Messiah, so that instead of a yawning mouth that swallows us up into the dark earth where we're covered over, never to see the sun or the sky or feel the rain, instead... We have a direct bridge into heaven built out of the forgiveness of Jesus' cross. I don't know some of the particulars about your future. I don't know what classes it is that you're going to like. I don't know what classes it is that you're going to love. I don't know what classes it is that you're going to loathe. I don't know what twists and turns are going to be taken with your new career, what joys and what challenges and what frustrations lie in wait for you in your future. But I know two things for absolutely certain about what wait for you in your futures. I know That Jesus will use even our weak and imperfect faith and efforts to build his church in this world. He will take what you offer and he will use it to work life-saving faith in others. And I know that no matter what joys or difficulties or triumphs or tragedies this world offers up to you, that you have a home destination beyond this world of peace and joy and life eternal, built by the one who established his church in you. Your plans can revolve around the certainty of the future the Messiah has secured for you. Amen. Please rise lord god we thank you for the sacrifice of your son on our behalf by which you opened our tombs and granted to us life eternal construct in our hearts your church that we may also prove to be rocks that share your message with the world around us opening heaven for all humanity amen